Thank you for choosing to listen to today's message by Reverend Dr. David Entry. We know you will be blessed as you seek and serve God. We believe that this message will stir up a desire for more of God, even as you listen. Be blessed. Father, thank you for the privilege to hear a word. We pray you speak to us in Jesus' name. Amen. Romans chapter 9 from verse 1. I tell you the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Spirit that I... I, I have great sorrow and continual grief, grief in my heart, heart, for I could wish that I myself were accursed for, from Christ for my brethren, my countrymen according to the flesh, who are Israelites to whom pertains the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the, the service of God, and the promises, of whom are the fathers and from from whom, according to the flesh, Christ came, who is overall the eternal blessed God. Amen. It's very interesting that every time he, Paul had this um, way of writing, most of the time, when in his introduction in a letter, when he mentions Christ, he adds doxology. Now, doxology is like um, um, ending something with praise. Okay, so like unto him who by his power created the heavens. No, sorry. Unto him who is able to do exceedingly above be all glory. You know, doxology, giving God appropriate praise. Doxa is glory. Giving glory. Doxa. Alright, so doxology, giving glory to ending it with God's praise. But it's interesting when he mentions Jesus Christ, he always moves into doxology, especially in his opening um, letters most of the time. So like Ephesians, he talks about how God has saved us to the praise of his glory. That's doxology. And who uh, sent Jesus Christ from verse 6, Ephesians chapter 1, Jesus Christ who died and forgave us our sins and uh, to the praise of his glory, doxology. And then verse, um, from verse 14 or verse 13 and 14, it comes on the Holy Spirit, who has, we have been, who has uh, given to us a seal and then uh, to the praise of his glory. These are doxologies. Doxology. To give a seal and it with glory. Praise. So like Romans chapter 11, Romans chapter 11, verse, um, I think, 36, 35, 36, 36, uh, for him, you see, for him, verse 36, for him and through him and to him are all things, to whom be glory forever. That's doxology. Paul had the uh, and now unto the king eternal, immortal, invisible. It was in the, in the middle of a letter. First Timothy chapter 1. He had not gone any further. Unto, uh, uh, um, uh, now unto him, uh, um, unto the king eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, be honor and glory forever. That's doxology. Right? So Paul had this habit of throwing in doxology even when he hasn't ended it. Mentioning Christ's name, he brings in doxology. So he just mentioned now unto the king eternal. This is First Timothy chapter 1, verse 17. Verse 18 was coming. Oh, or chapter 2, because verse 18. I charge, he's beginning to charge people. But he brought doxology as though he has finished it. No, he hasn't finished it. But he, he, he had the, the habit of bringing doxology when he mentions the name of Christ at certain times or the name of God at certain times. He was a man given to the praise of God. Doxology. And some religions take a clue from that. And when they mention their leader's name, they add doxology. It's kind of. 
So Paul, here, he was talking about Israel, my countrymen Israel, how I wish they would be saved, how I, I wish they would know uh, Christ. They said, they, to them pertain the covenants, the, um, pertain the adoptions, the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the service of God, and, and the promises. These things are all for Israel. God gave, not, no nations outside Israel had this privilege of knowing all these things, that how God adopts people as his own, how uh, the glory of God should be handled and how it is about the covenant. God vows, it's like a contract, but it's a covenant. It's an agreement that I'll do this for you, I'll protect you. If anybody touches you, I'll touch them. Covenant. The Israel, Israelites, but we, the Gentiles, Bible says that we are, actually Ephesians chapter 2 verse, from verse 11, that was, he says that, but you were Therefore, remember that you, once Gentiles in the flesh, who were called uncircum uncircumcision, we are uncircumcised. We didn't have a covenant with God by those who had come down with God, the circumcision made by hands. Look at verse 12. Verse 12 talks about that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Israel, that was not their story. That was our story. But that wasn't their story. Israel had all this. So he's talking about, about my, my, my countrymen Israel who had the, verse 4, who were uh, are Israelites, to whom pertains the abduction, the, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the service of God, and the promises of whom, of whom are the fathers, are the fathers. Can you imagine Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, Daniel, all these great men God used, they are all from Israel. Not one outside. They, 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 they had their fathers. Okay. Um, from who are the fathers? And watch this. He added this. He told this. This is even more serious. Of whom are the fathers? And from whom? According to the flesh, Christ came. Christ came from his, Christ was a Jew. Christ was Jewish. He, is, Christ, Christ was not black man. No. <laughs> Christ was Jewish. He says that Christ... Christ didn't come as a German, as an Englishman or American. Can you imagine how they would have made money from America if Christ? <laughs> Even Israel, the way Israel, the tourism is there, is Americans behind you that have packaged it well. I'm telling you. So, <clears throat> but Christ came, Bible says that he came to his own. He came to his own. He only don't receive in John chapter 1, verse 11. He came to his, he came to his own. All right, so he, he, he was born one of them. He came to his own, but his own did not receive him. In Matthew chapter um, 1, verse 21, when the angel told his announcement, he said, for he shall save his people from their sins. Jesus Christ came to his own. When Mary conceived and Elizabeth started talking, he said, a great light has appeared. The, uh, no, no, sorry, Mary, Mary uh, the Beatitude, John, Luke chapter 1, I think from verse 46 down. My soul that magnifies the Lord, and my spirit shall rejoice in God my Savior. For he has behold the hand, the, the, the handmaiden of the Lord, something like that. When I used to be a Catholic, we used to recite it a lot. <laughs> For behold, henceforth all generations shall call me blessed. Go to the next verse. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. Let's go. And his mercy, is on, uh, his mercy is on those who fear him from generation. This Mary, Peter, even the early apostles, disciples, they are all Jewish. 
So the Jews had, the Bible says that the oracles of God was committed to them. And Paul said, he's saying that, my heart breaks for them. I wish I was accursed, in other words, taken away from Christ and be, be banished in hell if it means Israel, my people will be saved. That's how much. This man who says that I rejoice in my sufferings, rejoice always, I say rejoice, he, he gave us a hint that he wasn't always happy. There are times in the verse, verse, verse 2, there, there were times where he says that I have great sorrow and continual grief in my heart. Why? Why was such a man? He says because of my people Israel. But what is wrong with Israel? What's wrong with Israel? He says that my countrymen, for they pertain, the, 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 to them pertain the, the adoption, the glory, the covenant, giving of the law, the, the service of God, the promises, the fathers, and Christ came in the flesh as a Jew. So what's, problem, what, what's the problem there? Why are you heartbroken for them? Look at the next. For of whom, um, but, uh, no, no, verse 5. Verse 5. Okay, so that's the, the glory of Christ. Okay, go to the verse 6. Let me see but, but it. Is, but it is not that the word of God has not taken effect, for they are not all Israel who are Israel. Now, when you look at the verse, I think it should be rather in the early, early, early part, verse 2. Um, conscience, okay, verse 3. So, my grief, verse 3, 4. Yeah, verse 3. Um, All right, let me just go through that again. My conscience, I, pray, I, I have sorrow, grief, continuing for my heart, in my heart, for I could wish that myself were a curse for the, for, from Christ, for my, my brethren, my countrymen, according to the flesh. Then he started talking about them. They say, what he was trying to say is that they didn't know Christ. They were not saved. You see it somewhere. All right, verse 6 says that, but it is not that the word of God has not taken effect. For they are not all Israel who are Israel, nor are they all children because they are the seed of Abraham. But, but Isaac, your, uh, in Isaac your seed shall be called. That's what the scripture says. That, that, is, that is those who are the children of the, the, the that is, those who are not the children of the flesh, children of uh, the, the flesh, but the children of the promise. Uh, are counted as the seed. Watch this, for the seed. For this is what the, this is the word of promise. At this time I will come and Sarah shall have a child. What he's saying is that all those you see as Israel are not Israel. Verse, verse 5, verse 6 again. Verse 6 says that, but it is not that the word of God has said, for they are not all Israel who are of Israel. Now, so here he's trying to point out to the fact that the true Israel is not all the Israel you see. Does that mean that they are not descendants of Abraham? Yes, they are. Because Paul, that's what he said. Isaac, Abraham didn't only have Isaac. But he said, in Isaac shall your seed be blessed. Pointing to the fact that Isaac is the child of promise. Right? So it's not just your children will be blessed, but Isaac, your child of promise, I'm going to, it's in him, and is the promise going to come. And not just that, very interestingly, Okay, if it's Isaac, then all Isaac's children must be blessed. Then that's why it goes on. Look at the next verse. This is interesting. Uh, no, let's go to verse 9. Verse 9. For the word of promise, okay, at that time he said, I'll come back. That's, he quoted the scripture. Verse 10. Look at verse 10. This is very interesting. And not only this, but when Rebekah, Isaac's wife, 
also had conceived by one man, not two men, one man, okay? One man, even by our father Isaac, right? When Isaac's wife was pregnant, the children were, she was pregnant with twins. Say twins. twins. Say twins. twins. I, uh, Rebecca was pregnant with twins. Watch this. Go to the next verse. Verse 11. For the children not yet being born, having done, uh, have, uh, not, not having done, uh, nor having done any good or evil, that the, prom- uh, the purpose of God according to election, say election, election. might stand, not of works, but of him who calls. So this, the purpose of God was predicated not of, on what you do, but it was predicated on his intentions, who he chooses to call. So like three of you are sitting here, and I'm not going to call you because you feel sleepy. Oh, you are sleeping. But I'm, let's say I'm calling you just because I just, not because of your hairstyle, not because of it. I just called you and said, um, this pen, take it. No, so not based on anything you have done. So just lay, I come blindfolded. And I say, okay, there are three people who will sit on this chair. I have to give it to one person on this chair. And I just give it to and somebody who I am not looking at. Because if I look at, maybe it may look like uh, I, I gave it to you based on your gender, based on the expression on your face, based on your, your, your dressing, or based on something else. No, but I just gave it not based on anything you have done. So that means that you didn't play a role. That's what he's trying to say. Put it on the screen again. It says that the children... For the children not yet being born. What does that mean? No, having done any good or evil. So none of them has done anything. But, accord, but that the purpose of God according to election might stand. And the purpose of God according to election is not based on works, but it's based on him. See, the him is capitalized. Him who calls. So God's purpose according to election is not based on what you have done or what you will do, but it's based on what he has, who he has decided to call. All right? So that that purpose will stand, look at the next verse. What did God have to say? He said, it was said to the woman who was pregnant, the older shall serve the younger. In those days, in, in times of antiquity or in certain cultures, some things are not done. The, the younger doesn't serve the older. The older automatically, especially the first child, automatically, um, the elder automatically, yeah, I was just trying to make sure I guess, I, I just get a particular word clearly. The elder automatically is one in charge. So that's why, do you know what? Prince William is heir to the throne more than Prince Harry. Can you imagine you come and say, no, let's swap it? No. It is, it, is, it is Prince William's primogeniture right. Yes, yes, yes. It's a word, it's a word, it's a word. Uh, some of you. It's the right of primogeniture. P R I M O G E Cha. Nicha, Nicha, N I Cha. 
Is there? Well, how can somebody read this one? What does it mean? The right of succession belonging to the firstborn child. All right? It's a right. It's a right. So it's, that. it's a noun. Primogeniture. Okay? It's the right of succession, which belongs to the Prince Charles. Not Prince. What's. Uh, uh, no, 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 no. Prince Charles' brother, Andrew. Not Prince Andrew. And then once it comes in Prince Charles' line, it stays in his line. Then William. So, so can you imagine that uh, the queen goes to be with the Lord, God forbid, and suddenly Andrew, Prince Andrew said, no, no, I, I, because my brother is not interested, so I have to come. No, 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 you can't. It, it's not his primogeniture right. It is. So in the same way, you don't, you don't temper with those that right. Then God... With, by his own sovereign authority, comes in and he says that the older shall serve the younger. Hey, what's the meaning of that? This is undone. It cannot be. God changes the order. Why did he do that? Based that the purpose of his election might According to the, the, the purpose, according to his own elections. So God says that, verse, let's go to verse 11 again. The, for the children not yet being born, nor, nor having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God according to election might stand, not of works, but of him who calls. God had to come in and change or, or diminish or nullify the primogeniture rights of the order. Before they were even born, God changed the primogeniture order. He came and he says that he said that the older shall serve the younger. Yeah. Oh, what's the meaning of that? So, and then it didn't even end there. Look at the next verse. Verse 13 says that as it is written, Jacob I have loved, but Esau I hated. No, they have not yet been born. Yeah. They haven't been born. But God said, This one I like, this one I have rejected. That hated there is not like animosity, but this one is not the one I prefer. I've chosen this one. This one is dispreferred. This one is preferred. What, on what basis? See, I know what counts into your mind. You all, we, we always are thinking about human rights. We are living in a generation of rights. Yeah. Right. So, God changes it, and it's like, let's look at the text. I think you like this. This is a nice story. And then let's go, let's go down, let's go down. Verse, verse, verse 14. Obviously, if God has done something like this, watch this. He's, he's not waiting for you to ask the question. He said, what shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? So, so he said, you know, because that's what naturally comes into your mind. But why should God do that? Yeah. Why, why, why should God? That's the firstborn. And normally, it is natural and it's normal that in every culture, tradition, in those days, it's the firstborn automatically. It's the first child. So why should God interrupt and interfere like that? And he didn't just end there, but he says that this one I love and this one I hate. They haven't been born. Ah! God, but that's not right. He said, ah, so is there unrighteousness in God? You see, 
God is not doing human right thing. So is there unright? He's not doing what is right. That's our mind with God. We are not doing what is right. Because you can't do this. It's not right. So is there unrighteousness in God? Then he says, certainly not. In the Greek, it's no, no, no. God forbid. Certainly not. King James said, King James said, God forbid. There's no righteousness. But that act seems unrighteous. That's not fair. That's not fair. Anytime someone says that's not fair, you know what they are asking for? They are just asking for justice. That's what we mean by that's not fair. By you. You want God to give you justice? Think about it. Some of you, by the time you were getting in the door, the doors should have slammed against you because... <laughs> can you imagine? You want justice? You want justice? I wouldn't be able to stand here to preach. My wife wouldn't be able to sit here to stand in front there and then... These pastors, if we want justice, if we ask God, God, Please, give me justice. Ne- that's a prayer you should never pray. <laughs> you might get it, and you burn in the hottest part of hell if you ask for justice. So don't come to God asking for justice. So he said, is there unrighteousness in God? Certainly not. God forbid. Let's go to the next verse. Let's go with me. For he said to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, not justice. Because if you are talking about fairness, then all of us deserve hell. So all of us deserve hell, and he has chosen, okay, let me just do this one. And let me just do it. That, that's very interesting. God said, let me just do favor. Let me just, all these guys, let's say, you have been condemned, God forbid, like condemned, to death, and then um, the, it's in the jurisdiction of the prime minister or the queen um, the, to just pardon somebody. One, every year. So this year, he comes and he said, oh, okay, you are pardoned. Go. Which is it? Go. And you know what he did? Come and pardon me. Let me sit down. You come and pardon me. So the queen is coming to pardon me. Pardon. Pardon? Really? But that's not fair. Yeah. How about these ones? Yeah. Yeah. How, can, how can you pardon only me? How about this one? It's not fair. Yeah. It's not fair. It's, been paid it's not fair. No, it's no, but how about them? It's how about them? For. But why is only mine paid for? How about them? It doesn't cover them. It's <laughs> <laughs> you are saved. And you are telling God, is it fair that someone else is not saved? Please take your own and just go. Just, just go. <laughs> go. <laughs> Verse 15. God said, I, he said that for, for he said to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I have compassion on whom I will have compassion. Verse 16 is very interesting. Therefore, so then it is not of him who wills. Of him who runs, but it's of God who shows. So this whole thing is about God's mercy. Now, remember where it started from? It started by talking about, I wish Israel would be saved. So what's going wrong with Israel? Can they be saved? What's going wrong? And he begins to tell that, listen, it's, it's my prerogative. All right. 
it's my, uh, it's, it's God's sovereign right. He's choosing to do what he wants to do. So that's what is breaking down. So he says that, uh, how? What's going on? What? He said, that's why God said to Moses, I have mercy on whom I have mercy, compassion on whom I have compassion. So then it's not of him that wills, neither is it of him that runs, but it's of God who shows mercy. And he said, for, he said to Moses, he said, that's why he said to Pharaoh, uh, for the scriptures say, uh, says to Pharaoh, for this very purpose I have raised you up, that I may show my power in you, that my name may be declared in all the earth. So why did he raise Pharaoh? He said, I've raised you so that through you, through your stubbornness, stubbornness, people can see how me too I'm powerful. That's interesting. The next verse says what? Therefore, he have mercy on whom he wills, and whom he wills, he hardens. Why, Why is he doing that? Okay, guess what? If the two of you it's two of you. Um, I need somebody to give me a pen to write. And out of all the guys here, I need somebody to give me a pen to write. And then, but I have some powers to make them let me have it. And so I kind of inspire your heart to let me have it. And I kind of didn't inspire this one's heart. And I said, oh, can I have your pen? He said, no, can I have your pen? No, it's mine, it's mine. So that I can punish him. So that others can see that God can punish. And then he has given me his, his pen, and then I, I exchange it and give him my nicer one. So, so that God, people can see, whilst you rejoice, get ready to buy two. <laughs> That's just it. So that people can see that God is very generous. And then he'll allow this one to be hardened. He hardened his heart so that people can see that God can also punish. So it's all about God. Not about the people. God is using this one as a vessel to demonstrate his power, his glory. And he's using this one as a vessel to demonstrate his anger. Because people don't know God has anger. So if, how do you know if God has anger? You need to know, we need to find some people who can really anoint God. <laughs> so that God, because other than that, all of you keep annoying God. So at least one person should do it so well, and then God brings judgment. Hey! Do you know? Do you, do you know? Do you know that if church, normal church, Christianity was like cult, most people would not fornicate. Oh yeah, you can't be in the cult and do that. No, because in the cult, judgment is instant. Yeah, they, if you go to the witch doctor and they tell you, don't drink coke. For three weeks. <laughs> the first day you take oh, you'll be in public in a big banquet and everybody oh, oh, oh. and nobody people will say ambulance, but you know why. <laughs> do, you, do you understand that? Most most people who go into the occult, some especially men in certain parts of the world, they are told don't marry. Don't marry. And some have got some chairs or in seats in their house, chairs or plates and cup. No one should drink from that because it's part of their uh, um, ritual, ritual, rituals they have done. If anyone, if you temper with it, judgment comes instantly. But in Christianity, it's not like that. 
So that's why people can spend a whole Saturday night in nightclub, drink, finish, go and do all kinds of stuff, and then come and join Ashes. Our <laughs> 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 uh, host team. Oh, choir, come and stand there and join the choir and be singing then. Yeah. Because it's like God doesn't bring. So that sometimes God must get a vessel. <laughs> Just if he wants to protect the revival, he will use some people as warning. I don't know who wants to volunteer. <laughs> all right, let's, 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 let's go to the next thing. I need to finish this thing. Oh, all right, let's go to the next thing. Therefore, he has mercy of you who have a new hardens. Who, who he wills, he hardens. You will say then, why does God find fault? For who has resisted his will? Why, why is he complaining then? Why should, if I didn't let you give me your pen, why should I find fault and begin? Why? Why should God find fault? This is the second question. Remember, first question was in verse 14. This is the second question. Why should God find fault then? And do you know the answer? I told you last week. What's the answer? Put it on the screen. But indeed, oh man, who are you? I think this morning, uh, uh, I was just trying to check other translations. Let's read from verse, um, yeah, verse 19. Let's read from verse 19 in the Message Bible. The Message Bible. All right, let's read, let's read that now. Let's go. What said we have in it? If the big decisions are already made, we just come and coast along. So, why, why should God find, uh, why should, uh, uh, blame us if the big decisions are made already? Go to the next verse. Let's read it. <laughs> Do you think any of us know enough to call God into question? <laughs> you didn't know it's in the Bible. <laughs> you think any of us know enough? Let's go on. Claire doesn't talk back to the finger that moved it. <laughs> Saying, why did you shape me like this? Claire! Why does any of us think that we can second guess God and call God into question? Look at the next verse. The next verse is very interesting. Let's go. <laughs> to shape one lamb as clay into a vessel for holding flowers. <laughs> <laughs> when you read the New Living Translation, it uses one for rubbish, one for, I think, one vessel, garbage, yeah, garbage, to throw garbage. He chooses who he will use for what? No, I'm trying to draw your attention to the fact that, I'm trying to draw your attention to the fact that you didn't get involved in your conception, did you? Did you? You would have chosen your parents. <laughs> yeah. You would have chosen a man, a father who would have stayed with your, ma your, your mother and really give, give her a lot of attention. 
Or you, you probably would have chosen a mother who would not be insulting your father. <laughs> well, can you imagine? Look at where God put you. Some of you would have chosen Kate Middleton's parents. <laughs> you don't have a say in your conception. So if you were, when you were born, you couldn't decide where you were born and when you were born. Now, when we are talking about being born again, what makes you think that it is you who decides? So stop the noise and give the credit to God. But when you read downwards, it's quite interesting. Because I want to take my time. I have never preached the whole chapter. <laughs> Verse 22. What if God, wanting to show his wrath, say his wrath? His, that means his anger. How does the message Bible put it in verse 22? Let's look at verse 22. If God needs a style of poetry especially designed to show his angry displeasure, he's, trying, he's looking for a certain type of vessel. There are times he wants to display his nice figure. So he will use the vessel of mercy to display how merciful he is. There are times he really wants to display how very stern he can be, strict and angry he is. So you use another vessel for, of wrath. And he has brought us all here. Some are vessels of wrath, some are vessels of mercy. But, but, but that's not so. You don't read your Bible, that's why you're saying like that. Because two weeks ago, I preached on the wrath of God. Because we've only, only been told about the love of God. That's why some of us, we don't intend to stop fornicating. You don't intend to stop it. Anyway, let me finish this thing. Are you learning something? All right. Um, where were we? 22. Yeah, if God wanting to show his wrath and to make his power known, endures with much long suffering, the vessels of wrath prepared for destruction. See? There are vessels that are vessels of wrath. And then look at the next verse, the vessels of mercy. All right. And verse 23, and, and that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy, which he had prepared beforehand for glory. Why would you say God is unfair? In fact, when you read the um, NIV in the verse 22, he said, Does God not have the right to sin to so? Uh, I think the verse 21, rather. Um, I think it should be there. Yes, that's the potter. Yeah, have not the right. So it's God's right. You're talking about human rights, but God too has right. The divine right. Because the truth is all of us deserve hell. <coughs> all of us deserve judgment. And suddenly he said, I'm just going to show some mercy. Clemency. I'm just going to give certain people divine pardon based on the finished work of Christ. So Christ has to come and die for them so I can give them divine pardon. 
So they can, they can be my objects of mercy. And when you see in heaven, I, was, I saw this. Uh, let me go and come back. Revelation chapter 7. Look at verse 7. Let's start from verse 6. Um, oh, it's rather verse 5. Then we'll jump to verse 8. Okay. Verse, yeah. Let, let's go to verse 4. I, I'm just one. Yeah, I heard a number. And I heard the number of those who were sealed. 144,000 of the tribes of the children of Israel were sealed. And then he started mentioning them. Them, the uh, Isaac, twelve thousand. The sons of go, go, go to verse seven, please. Verse seven, the tribe of Simeon and the tribe of Levi, and then all seal. Okay, let's move to eight. Verse eight, and the tribe of Zebulon, and then Benjamin, nine. After these things, I looked, and behold, a great multitude which no one could number of all nations, tribes. People's talk. So why do people say only 144? They don't read this part. People, you can't number them. Of all nations, all tribes, all people, all languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with, the white, with, with white robes, with palm branches in their hands. Now look at the next verse. What do we say? And crying out with a loud voice. What were they saying? Salvation. Oh, can I hear you? What were they saying? Salvation. Who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. That's what they were saying in heaven. They were singing about salvation. God, He decided to choose some people whose eternal song will be salvation. 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 When we get to heaven, you realize that much of the worship in heaven is about salvation and the Lamb and redemption. Yes, yes, yes. Now, if God has not redeemed us, how would you get a song of redemption? Some of you are not getting it. So God chose that I want some people who only come and be singing my song. That's why in church, if you are born again, I don't see why you should hold grudge against people and not be able to say, Lord, I worship you. That means you don't actually understand what it took for you to be born again. That's why you have been so, uh, 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 you, are, you, are, you, are, you are bearing grudge against so many people. That's why you are, you, you feel that it's you. I'm, Ah, my time will Okay, let me just take a few ten minutes. Then you, you will see Israel. You think that it's about you. Your salvation is not about you. Actually, I found out recently that God saved us not because of His love for us, but His love for His Son. Oh wow! His love for His Son. He loved Christ. That's why He saved us. He loves us because He loves us in Christ. So Jesus said, with the love which you have with you before the foundation of the earth, I have loved them. Mm. Praise God. Hallelujah. So he's, he saved us. Please, let's not preach a human-centered gospel. Yeah. The gospel started with God, not with man. Not because man was in need, but because God had a plan. So when we start with God's plan, none of us can boast that, you know, I've tried. I've been doing very well. God owes me a breakthrough. God owes me a pat on the back. You know, God, you know, God. No, you never, it doesn't matter what you go through. You never come to a place, if you understand redemption, to say that, God, I'm upset. God, I'm this. Hey! You, you're grateful for your salvation. 
How can you forget so quickly? And eternity, all throughout eternity, we'll be singing about the songs of salvation, how he has saved us, how he has helped us, how he has delivered us. Somebody shout hallelujah. Hallelujah. That's why we sing praise and worship. We are not singing praise and worship because we got a new job. We are not singing praise and worship because we got a new contract. Some, you, you, someone has proposed marriage to you or uh, things are, everything is okay. No, 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 no. Don't make it just human. Leave it for God says that for you are a chosen generation. Royal priesthood called to show for the praises of First Peter chapter 2 verse 8 and 9. To show for the praises of him who has called her out of darkness. So we have been that we may proclaim the praises. King James, I think King James said, show for the praises of him, show forth the praises of him who has called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. That's why we praise God, not because everything is good, not because you are, you are totally healed, not because you've got all the money, but because he saved us. He saved us. Someone shout, I'm saved. I'm saved. Wow. Interesting. I will show, God will show forth his mercy and wrath. Let me just finish this. So then he goes on to talk about Israel. So he's talking, he started the message. Have you noticed what is going on? This whole message is about, it's not you, God chose. It's not you, but God chose. Then, look at how it was ending from verse 29 of the same chapter. He said, Isaiah said, unless the Lord of Sabbath has left us a seed, we would have become like Sodom, Sodom, and we would have been like Gomorrah. Verse 30. What shall we, that's the next question. What shall we say then? That the, watch this, this is interesting. The Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have obtained righteousness and even the righteousness of faith. Look at the next verse, verse 31. But Israel pursuing, pursuing the law of righteousness has not attained to the law of righteousness. Now, now, excuse me, what are you trying to talk about? Israel hasn't gotten it. And the people who have not pursued it have got it. What are you saying? Israel, the law pertained pertain to them, the commandments, the prophets, the fathers, Jesus' human life. It's all Israel. And are you saying that they pursued the law and did not obtain it? And people like you, who were living your ordinary life, didn't pursue it now, you rather have attained it. Wow. Let's see how the Message Bible puts the two verses, those two, verse 30 and 31. The Message Bible. How can we sum this up? Oh, let's read it. Let's go. How can we sum this up? Oh, Actually, embrace God. The next verse. Is it not very interesting? Very interesting. Go to the next verse, the same message Bible, verse 32. Let's go. They were so absorbed in their God project that they didn't notice God right in front of them. Like a huge rock in the middle of the road. And so they stumbled 
They are busy with their God project. They miss God. Now, that's what you don't have to become a victim of. Religion is the easiest way to miss God. You are doing your own project. So now, let me just break this down. The whole text, back to the King James, the whole text we read started telling us about how I wish Israel, my people, would be saved. And it says that they are not all Israel who are Israel. For Abraham, all, not all Abraham's natural children. And then he said Isaac was a child of promise, so he took Isaac. And then Jacob and Esau, it was God who chose. So it's not J- Jacob's doing. God decided who to choose. And then he started breaking down. He said, that's why God said, I'll have mercy upon whom I'll have mercy. And so then we will ask God, but then why would God blame anybody? He said, no, you can't talk that, that way. Because God has the right to choose which vessel he use for what and what he will use for what. So he said, then what are we saying? That's, and he quoted Isaiah. No, first of all, he quoted Hosea. Then he quoted Isaiah. Then he quoted Isaiah. Then he came to verse 30 and he said, so what, are, what shall we say then? Israel, who were rather, who, they had the law of righteousness, trying to be right before God. They missed God. And the Gentiles who didn't search for God, they didn't have any, rather, they have got God righteousness by faith. And then he quoted Isaiah again. He says that, that's why Isaiah said that, um, Yes, as it's written, behold, I lay in Zion a stumbling stone, a rock of offense, and whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. The thing is about believing on the rock. But they were busy doing the law. So they were so busy trying to do God that God came as the rock to believe in him, and they missed him. But watch this, watch this. Something interesting is coming here. If it is God's prerogative, why does he blame those who have missed him? Because I thought you meant God is the one who chooses who will be saved. So if God who chooses who will be saved, then you can't say some people believed and they were saved. And look at chapter 10. That's very interesting. He goes on again in chapter 10. Chapter 10. Brethren, my heart desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they may be saved. That means they are not saved. My heart desire to God and prayer. I am so you have to pray. You have to pray for your people to be saved. My heart desire and prayer is that now watch this, watch this, watch this, watch this. If I'm praying that they may be saved, then why am I saying that it depends on God? If it depends on God, why do you have to pray about it? Watch this. If it depends entirely on God, then, but of course, he said, God says, I've chosen this one as a vessel of wrath and chosen this one as a vessel of mercy. So if it's God's choice, what can we do? We have to stand back and watch him do his own stuff. So why must he say that, watch this, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to run up quickly. Why must he say that it depends on God and now he has brought that I'm praying that they will be saved, God will save them. How is he going to save them? Let's look at, let, let, let's read on. For I bear witness that they have, oh, watch this. They have, they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For they being ignorant of God's righteousness. They had a zeal for God, but they didn't know how God does things. So they had a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. And they being ignorant of God's righteousness, 
and seeking to establish their own righteousness have submitted, uh, sorry, have, not, have not submitted to the righteousness of God. Do you understand that? Are you getting it? No. You're not getting it? Don't worry. They were trying to pursue their own righteousness. What's the righteousness they were pursuing? The righteousness that comes from the Lord, the Ten Commandments. Don't steal. Don't lie. Come to church early. Do this. Do that. They are thinking, because I'm doing that, God must accept me. So, tell me the list of things I have to do and I'll do them and leave me alone, God. So, they went for the law, they went for the document, and they, I need a nicer Bible. They went for, <laughs> they went for, the, no, sorry, mate, I didn't mean that. Oh, no, Bible, sorry. What, excuse me. They went for the law and they went, look, okay, what does this say I should do? Then they do it. Okay, they try and do it. But, do you know why they did that? Because they, they, overrated their ability and they underestimated the righteousness of God. They thought God is low enough that they can actually, see, you see, you see, I have to fix this ball. Let's say I have to fix this ball. And then he tells me, I want to bring you a ladder. I said, don't worry, I'll use the chair. I've estimated the height of the ceiling. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I've underestimated the height of the ceiling because I'm thinking, oh, this one, I will just stand on the chair and fix it. Oh, I can just do it easily. I've underestimated it, and secondly, I have overestimated my height and my abilities. I don't know if any of you have done that before, where you underestimated what you're supposed to be dealing with, yeah. thinking, oh, I'll, I'll, I'll do this within 10 minutes. And three hours, you haven't still finished. I'm fine. I know what I'm doing. I'm fine. That's how people backslide. When you begin to talk to them, they say, I know what I'm doing. I'm fine. You underestimate you underestimate the power of fellowship and the power of support. You underestimate it. And when people are backsliding, the first thing you notice from them is they say, I am okay. Yeah. I'm reading my Bible. I am actually even preaching other people about Christ. I know what I'm doing. Yeah. But everybody knows that the path you are on is a path going down. You are moving from Jerusalem to Jericho. It's only you who haven't seen it. Yeah. It's only you who haven't seen it. And if you be very honest with yourself, in the presence of God, you realize that you've lost something. You are not okay. Usually when people are not well, people who know you well can tell, ah, I don't know. But people who don't know you think you're okay. We know you. That's why you have to be part of a fellowship where we know you. Some of you don't go to K-group. Yeah. So when you back, start backsliding, no one knows it. Yeah. Yeah. No one knows it. But when you are in K-group and when you are in department and you start backsliding, you used to come at 9 a.m. Or, or by 9 or 8 you are there. 8 you are there. Now, for, for three consecutive months, you always come almost quarter to 10 almost quarter to 10. And now the very day they ask you, you say, oh, is today, you know, they have blocked all the railway lines. And, no, we are not talking about today. What you don't realize is it has become a trend. And those of us who care about you can see that you are backsliding. You miss church and you sit at home and so today I'm tired. You are backsliding but you don't know. You are tired. You are tired. When, when we are doing miracle service, you bring gallons of oil. Now, miracle service, missing it is not a problem for you. Something is going wrong, but you don't know we can see. But you haven't realized it because you are busy doing God. That God is coming, you are missing God. Missing God. You! You! I tell it unashamedly, you are not okay. Once your fellowship life is in decline. I can never be okay if my fellowship life comes down. I can't. Can I be okay if I've not slept for three weeks? How can I be okay? I'm actually sick. 
I, can't, I, can't, I shouldn't be allowed to drive on the motorway. I'll kill people because I haven't slept. That's what's happening to you. You think that, oh, I know what I'm doing, what this preaching, I've heard preaching. In fact, I've been listening to other preachers. You are missing fellowship. There's a difference between listening to preachers and being in fellowship. Yes. There's a difference. There's a difference. Yeah. You are losing something, sister. You are losing something, brother. You are losing it. You are losing it. You think you are okay until Satan finally isolates you. And that's how it starts. It starts it's an, Satan has a comprehensive isolationist program for you, but you haven't realized it. Because you are full of yourself, you always know what you are doing. Care group leader can't talk to you. When they call you, if you return their call, you have done them a favor. After what is it? You won't even pick the call. But you are not realized that it's a vow that one for all, all for one. That's why we are so interested. But you know what? If you push yourself into the hands of the enemy, later on you realize that it's your loss, not our loss. It's true. Wow. People must wake up to know these things. Yeah. Being in church is to your advantage. Mm. It's to your advantage because the world is harsh. Mm. In spite of what hasn't happened for you, mm-hmm. start prioritizing God. Mm. Prioritize God. Mm. What is it that I should do? I've done it. I've taken a box. I've taken a box. I've taken a box. Israel went about their own way, trying to please God. And they missed God. That's what the Bible is saying. You see that? Romans chapter 10. They said they tried. Romans chapter 10. Can you put it back on the screen, please? They tried. Pursue God. Said, verse 2. No, no, don't, don't give me the message. It's okay. I've had enough of the message. Let, let's, let's just go to the real stuff. For I bear, I bear them witness that they have the zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. Go to the next verse. For they be ignorant of God's righteousness, and seeking to establish their own righteousness have not submitted to the righteousness. See, God said, this is the kind of righteousness I want. But you think you can meet it. So you are doing your own thing to meet it. And you don't realize that you don't come anywhere near my standard of righteousness. It's like that your year one or year two child, you are, you are a PhD holder in mathematics. And you are solving something, said, oh, oh that this was, they've taught us in school, I can do it. <laughs> I someone get what I'm saying. Yeah. And so they tried it they, because they underestimated God's righteousness. But God's righteousness cannot be attained by man. That's the truth. Go to the next verse and see. Watch this. Look at the next verse. You like the next verse. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. So as soon as you put your faith in Christ, you don't need the law. Because you can't do the law. So you don't need the law. All you need is Christ. Your faith is in Christ. You walk by faith. You live by faith. You... But watch this. If he says that you are living by faith, that means seems to suggest that your believing is what saves you, not his choice. It looks like there are two tracks running now. One track is like God is the one who saves us. The other track is also like those who believe are the ones who are safe. Uh, so who, who determines? Is it God or me, the believer? Can we go further? Yes. 
I'm, 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 I'm trying to run now. Let's go further. Look at the next verse. Verse 5. For Moses wrote about the righteousness which is of the law, that the man who does these things shall live by the law. Go to the next verse. The, the Lord you are trying to see. Say you only live by the law if you can do it, but they can't do it all. But the righteousness of faith uh, speaks in this way. Do not say in your heart, who ascend into heaven? You think you can go to heaven? That is to bring Christ down from above. Or who will descend into the abyss? That is to bring God. No. But what, is, what does it say? Look at this. What's here? Verse 8. But what, says, what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth, the, and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. We preach it so it's near you, in your heart, and your mouth. And he says that if you can, shall believe, watch this, that if you will confess with your mouth that this is uh, the, the, the Lord Jesus, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall act. So who determines who is saved? Is it you or God? He said, if you do this, you'll be saved. But you told us that God said, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. And I'm, so what is going on here? Someone help me out. Is it, is it divine sovereignty or human responsibility? How do we get saved? Is it God's sovereignty, divine sovereignty or human responsibility? Serious. Somebody gets it. So your uncle, your cousin, what should he do? Because Pastor, the way you are talking, and we're preaching and preaching, it looks like for him, God hasn't called him. So should I encourage him to believe? What should I do? But what does it He said the Bible says the word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That if you can shall confess the Lord Jesus, and believe in your heart, you shall be saved. So how do you get saved? Confess and believe. Can we go a little bit further? Are you here with me, sir? Can we go a little bit further? Open the Bible, let me show you something. In, in Romans, Romans chapter 10. Let's go further. Verse, verse 10. Magadashatakaya. Thank you, Jesus. Magadashatakaya. Romans 10, 10, it says, For with the heart one believes unto salvation, and with the mouth confession is made, so one believes and with the mouth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made of salvation. For the scriptures say, watch this, what does the scripture say? Ah. All right, go to the next verse, verse 12. What does it say? For then this in between the Jew and the Greek. For the same Lord is rich over all who calls upon him. Now, the next verse. Verse 13. Let's all read it together. It seems like it shouldn't have sounded like that. It should have been whoever God calls shall be saved. But now you are saying whoever calls on the... So, it should have said those who God has chosen to call the vessels of mercy, if they call on his name, they shall be saved. He said, whoever. So it looks like the thing is open to all. Yeah. It, it looks like it's open to all. But you said that God said, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. So now, where do we stand? And we can't question God, why do you choose this one and leave this other one? But here, he has made it clear that if Israel, not whether Jew or Greek, anyone, Jew or Gentile, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. 
told them, you shall be saved if you call. See, but the reason why they are not saved is because they were busy stumbling. Bible says that we preach Christ. It's an offense to the Jews. A stumbling block to the Jews. We, but we preach Christ. So whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Oh boy. Then verse 14 brings another challenge. Because now we are talking about, listen to this. We, are, we have discussed two things. How do you get saved? Huh? No, 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 no. The first one from chapter 9. God's sovereignty. It's God's choice. So we are saved because it's God's choice, isn't it? But now we have found out that it's human responsibility. How do you get saved? You must be responsible, believe, and confess. Oh, wow. But verse 14 didn't leave us alone. It brings, it introduces another Let's look at verse 14. I think we should all read it from the screen. Let's go. Whom they have not believed, and how shall they believe in him whom they have not heard of him? And how shall they hear without? Ah! A preacher must come into. Go to the next verse. And how shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace. Who bring, bring if you are really saved, the one who preached for you to be saved, you find the person so helpful. If you are not saved, you don't understand what I'm saying. But if you are saved, the one who preached the gospel to you. Like, you remember when Akwesi met you on the road and spoke to you? You, you find, it's, you find them, it's not everyone who finds their feet beautiful, but you, you find how this guy came your way. It's beautiful. How that friend invited you at your lowest moment to church. You, you find those ones. But now, here, we find out that it is not just God's sovereignty, neither is it just human responsibility, but there is the third bit, which is the gospel duty. It looks like, verse 14 again. Do you know how it starts verse 14? He said, how? How can people be saved? But God should call them. No, God, yeah, but how can, if God is calling back, they can't be saved without something. So he said, how can they call on him whom they have not believed? So they have to believe first. But how can they believe okay, on him whom they have not heard? They have to hear something. But how can they hear if there's no someone to tell them? Somebody must, ah, so, so that, that's, uh, God chooses that he's going to save you. He sends somebody to come and preach to you. And when the person preaches, he gives you a responsibility to believe then salvation takes place. So it's like three major tracks. They seem to be independent of each other because it looks like preaching alone is okay or sovereignty alone is okay or human responsibility alone is okay. All these three are three main ways that God used to save us. So that means that God chooses him to save you but you have to take responsibility. You have to believe. Listen, I can, I pray for many people, many people to receive miracles. Mm. But there are other people I pray they haven't received anything. Because the faith has to do a lot with you. Yeah. Right. Yes. Jesus was there. A lot of people didn't receive their miracle because they didn't have faith. Mm. So you have a role to play. But the biggest of all I want to leave with this, with us all, there is a gospel duty. Quakes. We all have the gospel duty. If you don't preach, someone is going to go to hell. Yeah. 
Don't be making noise about, about how you have been saved, but you are not preaching to anybody. Are you actively sending people to hell because you have shut your mouth? Do you think God will take it lightly? He died for these people, but he can't save them if someone doesn't speak. Someone needs to speak for them to believe so God's plan can be fulfilled in their lives. So all I want to leave with us is we have a gospel duty. And the gospel duty has been entrusted in the hands of those who are already saved. If you are saved, then God has given you a duty to hit the road. Go and say, don't say, oh, my Christianity is my private life. Then you are not a Christian. Because there's nothing like private Christianity. No. There's nothing like that. Jesus said, if you are ashamed of me before people, I'll also be ashamed. If you are genuinely a Christian and born again, you will not be ashamed of Jesus. Amen. Gospel duty. It's our month of gospel duty. We will preach the word. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 16, Paul said, Woe is me if I preach not the gospel. For necessity is laid on me. If I preach, he said, For if I preach that the gospel, I have nothing to boast about, for necessity is laid on me. Yea, woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. It's me because it takes the preaching of the gospel to get people saved. So, we, the church, have a big responsibility. Our initial responsibility is not to go and feed people, our initial responsibility is to preach the gospel so that through our preaching, those God is calling, He will edge them, He will call them, He will call them, He will call them. Don't give up on anybody, don't give up on your cousin. Don't give up on your sister. Don't give up on your brother. Don't give up on your family. Don't give up on anybody. Your ex, your, your classmates. Don't give up on anybody. No. <laughs> I didn't mean you should pick your phone and call your ex. Thank you, Jesus. Please bow your head. Father, we thank you. We thank you for the privilege you have given us that we will be saved. We know that Jesus died for those who believe. Those of us who believe, we accept the challenge that we will step out and go and find those who you have also called. We thank you for the privilege. Lord, we make a commitment. We will serve you. We will be faithful to you. Because our hope is in you. In Jesus' name. Now, I want to pray for a special group of people here. If you are here, you want to say, Pastor, pray with me. I want to say yes to Jesus. I know I have a responsibility. I want to give my life to Jesus. I want to to say, Jesus, I invite you to my heart. I want to start a new life with you. I want to save you. If that's your genuine prayer, 
and your genuine desire, I would like to pray with you. Maybe you have done that before, but you are backslided, and you want to also say, Pastor, pray with me. I want to rededicate my life to Jesus. I want to, I want to come back to Jesus. I, want, I know I have a responsibility. I can't pretend about it. I know God is speaking to me. Don't be ashamed of the gospel. Don't be ashamed of the gospel. God is speaking to you personally in your heart, and you know it. You are a, a vessel of mercy. The devil wants to make you a vessel of wrath, but you're a vessel of mercy. God's anger and wrath will not be expressed through you. It's his mercy that will be expressed through you. Overcome the devil. Over defeat him, hands down, because today is a new day. Please lift up your two hands and let's pray. Say this after me. Say it from your heart. Mean it. Let it be your own prayer. Say, Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner and I've sinned against you, but I believe that you died on the cross to save me from my sins. From today, I repent and I invite you into my heart. I ask you to forgive me for all my sins. Wash me with your blood. I make a commitment that I will love you. I will serve you. I will be obedient to you. Thank you for all you have done. In Jesus' name, amen. Father, I thank you so much for my friends. They heard your voice and they have taken the step. I pray and commit them to you. I commit them in your word that they will be strong in the things of God. That as now that they have been justified, they will grow in the process of sanctification. They will grow in the process of transformation unto, unto glorification. I bless them in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Congratulations. God bless you. We thank God for using his servant, Reverend Dr. David Entry, to share this awesome word. If this message has blessed you in any way, please spread the word by sharing it and send us an email to amen at charis.org. Remember to stay connected with us on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube and Twitter for regular updates on what God is doing here at Charis Ministries. Stay blessed.